Welcome to this week. Tell me more. We're in the studio with Dr. Dennis R. Wiles and Luke Stair and me, Katie Hodges, and we are talking about the topic of hell. It's not the most fun thing to talk about, but it is good that we do, and we've had a good, thoughtful discussion, and we're glad to share it with you. So we're glad you're here, and listen up. Welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and we have Katie and <laughs> Dr. Miles. <laughs> and sorry, I don't know why we are laughing. We got giggling. We got giggling. Welcome to Tell Me More. That was Luke. I'm Katie. Dr. Wells is here. Um, we're going to talk about hell. The grace of God. We also say usually, and just let everybody know, yeah. it's actually Tuesday. Oh, it is Tuesday at? Yeah. <clears throat> 224 2.24 p.m. We had, we had a lot of ministry taking place yesterday. We did. We hosted a we hosted a funeral from being here. And so we're today, today we're recording. Um, that's right. And Dr. Wells, you did preach. Can you tell the audience? This is you know you always learn more in Tell Me More than mm -hmm. you would have on a Sunday morning. That's right. You had an alternate title to this message. I did. You know, could you share the, it with us? The righteousness of judgment is actually the title, which is an accurate title. Very academic. But, very yep. Exactly. Like a scholarly but, paper. But what I really wanted to entitle it was "Heaven Yes, Hell No." Hell but no. But I just didn't have the. Didn't have you couldn't the courage do it. To do it. You couldn't so. do it, and that's why you're our senior pastor. <laughs> There's so, some wisdom there, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I mean, but yeah. So yeah, sermon on hell, and you know, you think, um, of course, the era in which I was reared. In a Southern Baptist church, uh, you know, hell was much more of a topic mm. in those days. Preached on often. Yeah, mm. for sure. You know, on Sunday morning, not quite as much today, I would say, for whatever reason, at least in our context. Mm -hmm. um, but, <clears throat> you know, if you're going to talk about eternity, mm -hmm. I just felt compelled to address both hell and heaven. Mm -hmm. And so decided to do them in reverse. You know, I usually say heaven and hell, but I decided to do hell first. Mm to uh, give us the just a take on exactly what I think the scripture teaches and then next Sunday will be heaven. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was very helpful. I mean, you don't need your associate pastor to just praise, <laughs> but I, I really I thought it was a very compelling and helpful mm -hmm. reframing of hell. Mm -hmm. And we can get into all the nuances of that. Mm -hmm. but yes. In mm -hmm. fact, um one of my immediate family members, my husband, mm -hmm. praised you pretty highly mm -hmm. via text message to both of us yeah. individually. Yeah, I was pretty pleased with that. So pretty you, happy to get from Ryan Hodges. You've got Ryan I Hodges mean, on your side. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we can we can post that. You know that, that text review if we need to. Yeah, we'll put it on our Google. Care about that. <laughs> put it on our Google reviews <laughs> to negate some of the weird ones. Uh, yeah. Me, so. uh, okay. Well, there's many directions we could go with this. Uh, can I ask just right off the bat, Pastor? When I thought up, tell me more. Almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. Well, we started it. I thought of it earlier than that. Um, the premise was. This is a podcast for you to tell us more that you didn't have time for in the sermon. And right. something like yesterday's sermon mm -hmm. that had eight different texts you quoted, so many, you're trying to really establish like a, a whole argument, mm -hmm. whole, a whole philosophical thought. Right. Are there direct, are there things you wish you could have said if you had more time? Mm -hmm. Of course. And are there things you want to tell us? <laughs> I have one thought and I don't know if we want to, I don't know if you want to go there, mm -hmm. but at the very end, there's mm -hmm. this question that you had asked earlier in the sermon, but mm -hmm. you said, what about those who have never heard? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think. That is a question that a lot of people think about right. when you think about the justice element of God and His love. Mm -hmm. You want to go there? Yeah, it's a, it, that's almost a whole sermon unto itself. Probably. It Can I butt yeah. in with something before please, we dive into please. that? Please, you wanted to do the 
Didn't you want to do the yeah. quadrilateral oh, triangle? So before, triangular, before we go any further, I think that's a helpful way to frame things. Listeners, I apologize. Sorry. Luke and I discussed what to do. I jumped right to the end. <laughs> I got excited. Well, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not interrupting too much from this because that's a question I want to get to, and I'm sure no, our listeners do too. we have room for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as we think about hell. Well, if it's uh, too boring, you know, just skip ahead. It's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Play this at wow. two times speed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're going to talk about geometry. Just kidding. That's not what this is. No, but it sounds like it. It does sound like it. So when we think about any doctrine of faith, I'm going to put on my theology professor mm, hat. Please do. Mm, I'm not because I don't have that hat. So <laughs> There are. Just be a good student. <laughs> kind of four basic sources that Christians use in developing a theological belief. We all hold theological beliefs. There's no reason to be like, I'm scared of theology. You all do. It just means thinking about God. Theology. Thoughts on God. God. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there's this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Mm, let's say that again. Wesleyan quadrilateral. Like John Wesley. She just quadrilateral. Wants you to say it again because it has John Wesley's name attached yeah. to it. But and one more time. No, I'm just <laughs> so a quadrilateral would be like quadrants. I'm yep. hearing that. Okay. Four quadrants. So four sources of how we develop Christian beliefs, Christian doctrines, and those would be revelation. So that would be scripture, not just the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. but it's the word God has given to us. Revealed, okay. God revealed in Scripture. Yes. Okay. Then there would be tradition. Mm-hmm. So this is that, what we have received okay. from Christians through history who have read Scripture, meditated on it. Different yeah. Christian branches are going to deal with tradition differently. Mm-hmm. That's worth stating. Catholics put tradition as the highest mm-hmm. source of theological mm-hmm. development. Mm-hmm. We don't. Mm-hmm. But I would say to a Baptist who often doesn't engage with tradition— what we're doing is we're affirming that there are no dead Christians. They're all alive in Christ. We're just giving them a voice at the theological table of discussion. Wow. So like it. that's yeah. how I would frame it as a Baptist. Like it. Um, different groups of Christians would That could be not a sermon in me. itself. Um, and then there's a reason, which is logic, how you think through things. Yeah. And then there's experience. Those would be your personal encounters with the Holy Spirit, your life in church your cultural development and experience as a human being. So those four things are going to shape mm-hmm. how you develop theology, mm-hmm. and they also shape what we believe and think about hell. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily answer directly the question you presented. Mm-hmm. What about people who never heard? Where do they go? Mm-hmm. Correct. We don't get a direct answer in Scripture, so we end up having to dive into those other three sources, for lack of a better word, on how we develop this belief. So. As we talk about this question, I want you listeners to just understand that we all hold a very high view of Scripture, all Baptists do, um, but we're going to have to lean into tradition, reason, and experience more so to navigate this question. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I've seen the Wesleyan quadra- quadrilateral also broken down because we have such a high view of Scripture that it'd almost be like the base is Scripture and then there's three pillars. That are those three. You know what I mean? I think that's true for Baptists. It's we, not true for every Christian group. Right. No, was, the Wesleyan quadrilateral would make it a quadrilateral, but Baptists kind of sometimes mm-hmm. put it on its head. Yeah. We have scripture, scripture is the foundation. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do. Yeah. That would yeah, that would be a Baptist mm-hmm. distinctive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But where scripture does not give an answer, these are the we other then tools, have to turn to right? the other areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that uh, foundational work, thank you, Luke. May I repeat my question? Mm-hmm. I would love that. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Wells, when we talk about hell. Right. One of the difficult things mm-hmm. is what about those who have never had a chance to even respond to God? They never, Correct. they don't know the truth of right. the gospel. And that, what becomes of them? I would say that also that question would come from the context of <clears throat> the given that you believe in hell and that there is a place of eternal punishment. 
to kind of have that view. I'm mm-hmm. not saying necessarily just you, but I'm saying no, you yeah. have that. One and then you go, so what about those who've never heard? Well, I think you you do have to do what Luke described. You also have to extrapolate, I guess, from Scripture to try to find an answer to that. And I would say in general, big picture, as I mentioned Sunday morning, when we're talking about hell, we are talking about something beyond our experience. Same thing is going to happen this coming Sunday. We're going to talk about heaven, which is beyond our experience. So we have to approach it with enough conviction to where it makes sense. But we have to hold a few things a little more loosely because all we have to go on is what's been revealed to us. And then eventually, as we think about it theologically, what has been taught about it, um, I think is, it does factor in. But if you just look at the Scripture, um, big picture, I would say that the Bible presents to us a God who is truly perfect in every way. And so he is a loving God and he's a just God. And the intersection of that love and justice, it intersects perfectly in the, in the uh, if I can use the word heart, in the heart of a perfect mm-hmm. God. Mm. And so I've got to trust both of those mm. and believe that they both carry the value they need to carry within God himself. Mm. So when I look at what the Bible commands me to do as a Christian, the ethical life that I'm called to live, I'm also called to a missional life in the Scripture to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Okay, so that is our responsibility, and it's a task Jesus gave us, and I believe we're still living in that task. So um, when it comes to people who've never heard the gospel, what I would say, first of all, is we are compelled to go take the gospel to them. That, that is a, our responsibility to share the message of Jesus with the whole world. And so we, we are to live into that. <clears throat> so that's going to mean at least for a season there will be those who will die, who will live and die mm-hmm. without ever really hearing about the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I would say that on the one hand, I could make the argument that the folks who die without Christ go to hell. I could make that argument because the only way to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus himself said that. However, also I would have to say the Bible doesn't definitively necessarily address that particular question. So it causes me to walk a little more cautiously as I try to answer it and say that I can't definitively say what I think or what happens. Let me put it that way. I can Mm. definitively say what I think, but I can't definitively (laughs) say what happens. Um, And so there's a part of me that, that looks at that question and says, well, if those who've never heard the gospel are guaranteed eternal life, then they're better off if we leave them alone. Right. Right. Because if we go and share the gospel with them and they reject it, mm-hmm. well, then sure yeah. enough, they're going to hell. They're accountable. Right. Yeah. So they're better off if you just don't ever go in the first place. Well, I can't reconcile that with the command to go. Mm-hmm. So I have to go to take the gospel. I also have to rely on the fact that the Spirit of God is at work in ways that I, that I don't know or understand. And I know, Luke, you've encountered this in missiology. When you, when you talk to um, our missiologists who work primarily with Muslims, and we do a lot of this work in West Africa, mm-hmm. many, I think the number one way that Muslims come to Christ is through a conversation with a trusted person. That may be true of everybody, but it is true of Muslims. But the second biggest reason that Muslims come to Christ is because they have a dream 
yes. know, vision. And typically that's the impetus for the conversation with the trusted person. A lot of times person. it leads to it, right. And so, mm. well, my goodness, think about that. There's this, I have a friend of mine who uses that methodology in sharing the gospel. He will say to Muslims as he encounters them, have you ever had a vision of a man in a white robe coming to visit with you promising the truth? It is unbelievable how many Muslims have that dream. Isn't that wild? It really is. I, I don't know of any. I don't know of anything like it in any other people group in the world. Maybe you do, Luke, but I, I've never no. encountered it anywhere else. Like, I mean, to that level, it's amazing to me. So the Spirit of God is working in the hearts of people before the gospel even is proclaimed or shared or known or understood, and so there's something happening there that's very mysterious that I just that I just have to back off and say, man, this is this is the work of God. So on the one hand. I think I live with the light that I have. The light that I have tells me to go take the gospel to the whole world. So I'm going to do that with all of my, with all of mm-hmm. my strength, if I can, and will support it. As I've said before at our church, you only have two options missionally. That is to go. That is either to go or send. You either go or you send, so that other people can go. And the reason we do that is because we do believe this gospel is powerful and it's mm-hmm. transformative and it offers eternal life. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is the light that I have. And so I go with that light. I'm going to leave the answer to your question that we all have, I guess. And I don't think it's a cop-out. I think it's just being honest about the biblical text. I've got to leave that in the hands of God mm-hmm. and say that I trust God. Mm-hmm. God is perfectly loving and perfectly just. And so I've got to trust him. Now, with that said, I would also draw a line, though, that that may be hard for some to understand. But any anything that minimizes the cross of Jesus to me is heretical. Mm. So if you mm-hmm. if you can find another pathway to the Father that denigrates, diminishes, or even eradicates the need for the cross, then I would tell you you have stepped outside of Christian orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. That's why I believe the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most significant scenes in the New Testament where Jesus says, Father, if you can remove this cup from me, Please remove it, and and God tells him no. Mm-hmm. Well, that is an eternal no. So that leads me mm. to believe that any question I ask about this topic, y'all, is always asked from a very limited perspective. It's 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 asked from my perspective, and so I have to acknowledge that God is not limited by perspective. <laughs> As uh, uh, Madeline Lingle says, you have a point of view, I have a point of view, God has view. That's just mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. I have to trust the, the, the sweeping eternal view of God to be able to reconcile those kinds of questions that are very difficult for me to, to know how to answer. Mm-hmm. Now, I would tell you all that uh, I'm compelled to answer the Great Commission, and so I just let that guide me mm-hmm. in my theology mm-hmm. about all of it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to trust the rest of it to him, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I realize it would be it, it, I'm not a universalist. I believe that that's a that is incredibly far fetched and totally inconsistent with with the just mm-hmm. nature of God. I had someone ask me this week about universalism. Can you mm-hmm. just define that for us? How would you define universalism? Well, there's probably three or four definitions of it. <laughs> you know, okay. one of them would be so when you say universalism. What yeah, do you mean? I think one would just mean that mean that it just really doesn't matter what you do; that everybody ultimately is going to be uh, experience eternal life with mm-hmm. the Lord in heaven or wherever, mm-hmm. whatever you think heaven is. Mm-hmm. 
I think then there, you could also argue there are those who would say, well, universalism means that when we die, when it when when the judgment is 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 pronounced, there are going to be those cast into hell and those who will be given the gift of life in heaven. But then at some point in the future, God's going to give those in hell a second chance, if mm-hmm. you will, and they will all accept it. Who wouldn't accept the gospel in hell? I mean, if you had the presence of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin, mm-hmm. then you would mm-hmm. accept it and you would go to heaven. Flip side of that would be, you know, the whole idea of purgatory, that you there's a there's a sense in which you're a child of God here on earth. You die with sin on your soul. It's got to be purged. And after a period of purging, then you'll find yourself in heaven. Yeah. Those are all various forms of universalism. Some some ideas of universalism have nothing to do with Jesus. It doesn't really matter if you accept Christ. It's because mm-hmm. some would say, "Well, no, you're going. To, we're all going to accept Christ. You're just going to accept Him on the other side of the grave." Yeah, that's kind of a Christian universalism. That would be a Christian, right? right. A little more narrow. Yeah, the other side of the other, the more broader definition would be: does all these paths lead to God? Yep. It doesn't matter which one you take. All paths lead to the top of the mountain. That's right. That kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. And we'll all go. Again, if 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 you denigrate the cross. Um, eradicate its need, then to me you've mm-hmm. you've stepped out of orthodoxy and it's heresy, and I would deny the truth of it. I don't believe there's any path to the to the Father but through the Son. Mm-hmm. So through the Son's sacrificial death, <laughs> correct, and not, not just his life. I mean, because that, right. that's you're talking about Gethsemane. That's right. I'm talking it's about his death on the cross. Yeah. The the kind of the the final, if you will, judgment of sin. To me is. The cross, where God judges evil, and um, and he he um, in the death of Jesus, the answer is given that sin has now been paid for once and for all by Christ for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't even believe in limited atonement. <laughs> I mm-hmm. believe that the atonement of Jesus is for anybody and whosoever may choose to accept it. Um, but again, we have we have a limited perspective on all this. I think we don't recognize just how evil evil really is and Mm. just how what a consequential force it is Mm -hmm. god does Mm -hmm. but i think we don't Mm -hmm. and so to us it it, i don't know it seems like maybe god will get over this you know Mm -hmm. so you think about universalism he'll get past it at some point and Mm -hmm. he'll get tired of it and he'll just kind of welcome everybody in i I really believe that's a total mystery of the scripture I think it's much more pervasive, much more evil, much more comprehensive, much more antagonistic to the ways and the will and the heart of God than any of us even can imagine. Mm. That's why I think hell is so real. And I don't believe anybody in hell is going to be repenting and asking for a way out because you won't have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So there is no convicting power within yourself. You just don't have it because um, without the Spirit of God, there is no path for conviction of sin. So what what would be the remorse? Now, you might have regret, but no, not repentance. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. So, Where are you going, Luke? I see your wheels turning. Yeah. Uh, well, so as I think about, you know, you've brought up universalism. So if we were to de- kind of describe the alternating views of hell as yeah. kind of a spectrum, mm-hmm. you have Hardline universalism, which is there's no hell. Yep. No one will spend any time in hell. Right. You could describe what we would call soft universalism from a Christian. And I'm, I'm using a lot of air quotes here that you can't <laughs> right. see because this is audio. Here, I can just narrate. Air and quotes. air quote. Soft universalism. <laughs> and there's more air quotes. From an air quote Christian perspective right. would be that people will go to hell, but eventually hell will be empty. It's not eternal, yeah. It's not eternal, mm-hmm. and eventually no one will be there. Right. That's still universalism because— Eventually, 
hell is empty. Mm-hmm. Then on the other complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have hardline exclusivism. So universalism on the one end, hardline exclusivism on the other, and that's this is exclusive. The only people who will go to heaven are the people who made a profession of faith and follow Jesus mm-hmm. in this life, this side of death. Correct. Anyone else too bad, so sad? Mm. You're going to hell? That would be exclusivism. There's kind of a middle view that we've kind of danced around, and I think out of all theologians, C.S. Lewis is the most famous proponent of this, and it would be inclusivism, which sounds odd in our day and age. But essentially, inclusivism is a way of describing this mysterious what happens to people who never heard of Jesus. And it's, we hope, and we don't know for sure, but somehow, some way, God will do a work for them. That's still through Jesus. Um, so the most famous example of the C.S. Lewis thought on this would be, if you've ever read The Last Battle in his Chronicles of Narnia series. Mm-hmm. I have not. Confession. Uh, this would be his most famous example is at the end of time, it's judgment in Narnia. And there's this guy from the nation to the south um, called Callerman. And he's been a faithful follower of their religion all his life, doing his best to be that person. And at the end of time, he's never heard of Aslan. So he's like, I don't know what this is, but what's going on? And essentially, Aslan, who is the Christ figure, allows this person to come in and says, you did the best you could in your place. And whatever you were doing here, you did for me, I think is kind of C.S. Lewis's line. I'm not a full advocate of this. I don't think, I don't know if I'll go as far as C.S. Lewis, but essentially that's inclusivism is God will make a way somehow for these people who never heard. But those same people who get a way made for them could still freely reject Christ in that instance and choose not to come in. Mm. Um, I think that's his view if I'm accurately yeah, I think so. summarizing it. And, and some of that mm. we will even talk about, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, because the progression is big picture eternity, the first sermon, second, hell, third, heaven, and then the last Sunday that I'll be preaching before some of y'all start preaching will be John 3.16. And so that is, how does this work? Then yeah. How do you find your way into this? Mm. So we'll be talking about some of that two mm-hmm. weeks from now. Mm-hmm. I think another view of hell that I really didn't talk much about Sunday morning, I just barely mentioned it, is, is um, I mean, I did talk about it because I talked about my belief about hell being eternal, but the idea of annihilationism, you know, that that mm. that hell's destructive. Mm. And so when when the wicked perish, once the final judgment is rendered, they will spend time in hell, but it will only be for a season and they will ultimately cease to exist. They'll be annihilated. You know, and that the that if you use fire kind of as the image, that fire is destructive. Fire burns things yeah. up. And so, you know, you will at some point cease to exist as a person, you will no longer be in torment. Um, you will just no longer be, you know. And there are a number of theologians who agree with that view. You know, I would tell you several theologians who I love and trust have have kind of dabbled in that question, you know, and just struggled with it. Some John Stott probably mm-hmm. most famously struggled with it as he got older. Mm. Um, but but again, the problem that we have with even that view is that the 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 way hell is portrayed in the scripture in the New Testament it has an eternal quality to it it's a it's a fire that's never quenched you know it's um 
weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you get the phrase, you know, the, the, from age to age, forever and ever, mm-hmm. which is kind of the New Testament way of expressing eternity. And so, once again, I've got to surrender my propensities and my wishes and hopes to the authority of the Scripture. So that is why I tried to say Sunday morning that your sense of authority, your understanding of authority is will guide you in this. So if it's if you believe in Revelation that the way God's revealed Himself is the ultimate authority, well, then you really do have to surrender to that. And you, and you as we were kind of joking before the podcast, Katie, you don't get the chance to create God in your own image. I mean, mm-hmm. you can, I guess. Well, I think we, that's called an idol. Yeah, well, I think it. I think we do, even yeah. if we don't. If, if, yeah. You know, sometimes I step in it, and I don't mean to. Yeah. Oopsie. We probably all do. <laughs> you're, you're like, well, I don't think. Surely God wouldn't. Right. Whatever. P- yeah. Fill in the blank. And there's blind spots, that's right? right. I, that mm-hmm. I behave. I behave in the world in a way that. Mm-hmm. I think God works, yeah. even though I don't mean to, right. you know. Yeah, because you, it's like, I I would say if you begin a sentence with, surely God wouldn't, mm. what I would say is then mm-hmm. you've really limited yourself on how to complete that sentence truthfully. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because God, God does what God does, you know. And so, mm-hmm. um, and as I said Sunday morning also, uh, as I, I mentioned, I couldn't remember if it was one of my seminary professors, if I read it or if I made it up. But um, but you just, mm-hmm. you can't preach on hell. If if you can't preach on hell with a broken heart, then you just ought to just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. If, if you preach on it triumphantly, mm-hmm. as if this is the great argument to be won, it, it, mm-hmm. it, that makes me a little nervous. Mm-hmm. And, and I tried to Sunday morning present it hum- humbly in humility. But also present an argument that I think is biblically based, that's mm-hmm. rooted in, that even would pass the Wesleyan test. Even though I can't speak from experience, I can speak from tradition and, yes. and what orthodoxy is and certainly the power of the Scripture and reason, you know, as I look at it. You know, just like, for example, what do I do with a just God? I mean, it, <laughs> we all want justice. We, we all want evil people to kind of get what's coming to them. You know, you think about the most evil people that we can think of in the world. I mean, my goodness, you look at people like Hitler mm-hmm. or people like Nero or um, Diocletian, you know, folks who who were, or, or, or um, folks who've, who've um, someone like, even like Osama bin Laden, we would say, somebody who was willing to craft methods to just annihilate other people for, for whatever their reason mm-hmm. was. There's just this universal sense that we all have that okay, no, you don't, you don't get by with that. You know, you you have to pay for that. Okay, well we have that, and it makes sense to us, and it's in every culture. Every culture has a sense of right and wrong, and and so for some reason I trust that humanly, but for some people to. Entrust that to God is a big stretch. It's almost like God can't be good if He's just. That that to me just doesn't make sense from a reasoning perspective. Mm-hmm. If God is good, He has to be just mm-hmm. <laughs> because you can't call evil good. I think that's a good thing for our our culture, air quote, yeah. um, to think about because I think we've really been captivated by the idea of that God is love mm-hmm. as a banner statement. Mm-hmm. But to think about more. More theologically, maybe another layer of thinking mm-hmm. for those that are ready to go there mm-hmm. is what does it mean for God to also be just mm-hmm. and loving? Mm-hmm. And I think we're mm-hmm. 
we're not as prone to go as, there. As if they're mutually exclusive or as if they're in if they're in opposition to each other. Yeah. What's the Martin Luther King quote? Justice is love in public. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you think yeah. about it. Tim Keller makes the argument that, okay, if you want a loving God, that's fine. But I'll paraphrase his argument. The only place you find a loving God is in the Bible. The loving God and the I mean the, the God of the Quran is not a loving God, not not personally loving. Now you might say that that Allah is loving in the sense that He created everything that is and it's an expression of His desires and those kinds of things. But you would not have a Muslim cleric def- describe the love of God like a father. No, Allah is not someone you can know personally. No, not mm-hmm. at all. So there is not there's no personal love. Whereas with us, He's our Father. He loves us. Well, the only really the only religious text that argues that is the Bible. So consequently, from using and reason, reason, well, the God of the Bible is also just. And so the very same book that gives me the God of love also gives me a just God. Mm-hmm. So I've got to let those two facets of God coexist perfectly within him, mm-hmm. and I have to trust it. And I'm not saying this because I like it. <laughs> I'll be honest with y'all. I'm, there's more time. There are more times in my life when I want mercy than justice. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not get what I deserve sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but I know that justice is right. I know it is, and I know that we all we all call for it. I mean, you know, you you, you think about it. If you if you were, I mean, think of a ridiculous example. What you know, it's almost like um, we we joke about the ethics of criminals, you know, you've mm-hmm. kind of got this mafia ethic where mm-hmm. even they will go, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. You it's know? like the cartel that accidentally killed the wrong people. Do you hear about this? Yeah, I mean, a yeah. couple months ago. Yeah. And they wrote an apology yeah, note. Yeah, they apologized. We're sorry. We didn't mean to do that. Yeah, because they were like, oh, no, yeah, we yeah, only kill. Yeah, the you know. people we want to kill. We didn't yeah. mean to kill them. <laughs> it killed some yeah. tourists. Yeah, there's yeah. even, a, what is it, honor among thieves? What do you call it? I mean, something in other like words, that. there's something, no. even among the most depraved people. Mm-hmm. There's an ethic and a sense of justice that they even have lines where they go, oh, well, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, and so, um, well, where does that come from? Well, it, I think it's the image of God, you know. It's kind of like that story I told a few weeks ago in one of my sermons about the guy that was in Oregon that, you know, stole the car and right. realized there was a baby in the car. And he goes back around and hands the baby to the Lectures woman and tells her, says, I'll call the yeah. police. How dare you leave your <laughs> yeah. baby in the car? Still stole the car. Yeah. <laughs> but in his mind, he was like, no. Don't yeah. leave a child. And what is wrong with people? <laughs> okay. Mm. Well, right. um, mm. so so I I realize justice matters. And so if the Bible gives me a loving God and a just God, mm. then do I have the option of refusing one of those? Mm. You know, I guess I'm just trying to think through how do you do that? Yeah. And I just decide I can't. I also think that I also think hell, y'all, I, I believe hell affirms our dignity as human beings Mm -hmm. because I really believe that what you do on this earth matters. If it didn't matter, if it really didn't, if there was no ultimate accountability, reward, and judgment, then what difference would it make? Why, Mm -hmm. Why would there be a compelling ethic? What would compel me toward good if there was really no sense of accountability or justice? So the very existence of hell somehow, to me, affirms the significance of humanity, right? the value of our lives and decisions mm-hmm. that we make. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it because I'm happy there's a hell. <laughs> that, that's not even the point. That, mm-hmm. It's I'm trying to be honest about what I think the Bible teaches and embrace its authority in my life. 
And so it leads me to that conviction that I believe, as I said Sunday morning, I believe hell is, is a real place. I believe it's reserved for Satan, his demons, and all of those who reject this relationship with God. Um, and, and I believe it's an eternal place of punishment. I do like the, um, the imagery that's used by C.S. Lewis, that's used by Randy Alcorn, that's used by mm -hmm. Tim Keller about how it's, it's a diminishing thought, personhood. Yeah, very, you know? mm -hmm. I wanted it's, to ask you about that. Yeah, because when we think about hell yeah. culturally, it's kind of flames yeah, or sure. like Vegas, yeah. you know, just sin. Mm -hmm. But in a fun way, yeah, almost anecdotally, right. we yeah. just think it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, all, all the cool people are going to yeah, be there. Like all gas, no, like, no breaks. This like is awesome. Mark Twain said, go to heaven yeah. for the climate and hell yeah. for the company. But we do. We think of it as like overindulgence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah. it's very um, sexy. Yeah. But really what you're describing, I think mm -hmm. is more accurate. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to hear it. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like your worst day on earth mm -hmm. for all the, those reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Forever. Right. And magnified. Ever. Correct. Worse and worse. Right. Ugh, I liked that you image know? of addiction of, that Tim Keller proposed. Of, mm -hmm. You know, you have to continually do more, but in hell there's never that gratification that comes right. with it. Right. And I think if you could imagine it as a journey almost, it's like the longer it goes on, the further away you get. I mean, from whatever is good. Yeah. Whatever is hopeful, whatever is God, godly, joyful, fulfilling, meaningful. Hell, you're going in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And it is just the diminishment of all of that. While at the same time, what's happening eternally is and I'm going to talk about this Sunday, I believe in the new heaven and the new earth. And I think our our heaven is, our life is where heaven and earth will emerge together mm -hmm. and be integrated. And that's where we will be, mm -hmm. you know, in this, in this heavenly, earthly experience. Mm -hmm. And think about that and the progression of that and the fulfillment of that and and the true joy and the significance for eternity to where we're, where, where, you know, C.S. Lewis says something like where every, every chapter is better than the one you just read, mm -hmm. you know. Whereas hell's moving in the opposite direction. It's it's going even further and further and further away from this mm -hmm. eternal God where we're being more and more drawn into who he is and what he had for us all along and what Jesus died for us to have. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um yeah. So it's 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 hell is a sad, sad reality. What I hope that it does though, too, is it reminds us of just how important it is to try to live this gospel in front of other people in ways that are meaningful, compelling, and attractive so that they might find their way on the Jesus way. So that, you know, I, I, was, I was at children's camp. I talked about this again. But, you know, Dr. McGorman was one of my New Testament professors at Southwestern Seminary. He's one of my favorite all-time people. He's from Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. So he had this rich Scottish accent. Mm -hmm. And he started teaching at Southwestern in like the 40s, if I remember. I can't remember now, the 50s, whatever. Mm -hmm. Two PhDs in Greek. Had one at Southwestern, one at Duke. Brilliant man. Sweet, humble, godly man. One of the most Christ-like people I've ever known in my life. And um, he, um, but and when he was with you, he would try to hold off on his Scottish brogue. But the longer he was with mm. you, the kind of the worse it <laughs> yeah, would get. Yeah, it came out. Yes. So he was preaching revival at my church years ago in Garland. And, you know, the first Sunday he was on his best behavior with his accent. But Wednesday night, mm. he had he had kind of devolved into this Scottish guy. I'll never forget. And he, he got to the end of his sermon and he was talking about the grace of God. 
and I can still hear this quote in my mind. He was he said something like this. He said, "Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, and oh, the grace that brought it doomed to man." And I remember sitting there thinking, <laughs> "What?" Okay, oh, okay, I got it. I got yeah, it. Let me break that down. I, I got oh. it. But, uh, hmm. but but Dr. McGorman, you know, he used to talk to us about just the the power of of the gospel, and that you have to live it right in the middle of everybody else. So. He's the one that gave me that image that the narrow way, he said, he mm-hmm. said, you know, when I was a kid, he said, I thought that the broad way, the narrow way was an intersection. And you come to it and you go, oh, I need to go the narrow way. And he said, but the older I've gotten following Jesus, what I've discovered is that's not how it is. I'm on the broad way. I'm on it. And the narrow way is cut right in the heart of the broad way. And the people on it are just going the opposite direction. And somehow I get interested in it and get compelled. The next thing you know, I have found Jesus and I'm on the narrow way mm-hmm. now and I'm cut right in the middle of people on the Broadway and I'm walking in the opposite mm-hmm. direction of them. Well, I've never forgotten that. that. That's how I view it. Well, so hopefully these thoughts about hell, this a better understanding of hell and more, giving it more consideration and it's eternal just travesty. Hopefully it will compel me to live a godlier life on that narrow way and help encourage people who are on the broad way to find their way to it, mm-hmm. you know? So mm. that's also a hope from the sermon Sunday. I would also tell you my hope, my hope is this next week, the sermon on heaven will even more so do that. It will even paint a compelling picture of why it's so important for us to do it. Mm. So mm. It's, good. it's kind of my teaser for next Sunday. So well, anyway, I guess I'll have to show up for it. Yeah. Okay. I think I'll be at church. <laughs> Luke, anything from you? It's, I mean, it's always a good discussion. And I know we, you know, we've talked about maybe C.S. Lewis and Lewis isn't always the best theological guide on this instance. Right, yeah. But I will say, even if we don't agree with everything he ended up saying about heaven or hell, the reason we come back to him is because he probably better than any other person else helped us think through this imaginatively yes. of what it looks like. I agree with that. I don't think the great divorce, this book in which a person takes a bus trip from hell mm-hmm. to heaven— is real, yeah, but man, it is a compelling way of thinking through the nature of hell. Mm-hmm. If you've never read it, it's mm-hmm. a great read. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think presents this view of disintegration of the person as what hell right. is like. Right. So, mm-hmm. and he yeah. would say the gates of hell are locked from the inside. That's right, and and nobody wants out really. And he, you know, I think, and I love C.S. Lewis. It's funny to me because today we have N.T. Wright. You know, so we get these guys with the first two initials. It's kind of interesting. But the people that know him, at least N.T. Wright, they just call him Tom. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, true. Yeah. So N.T. Wright. It's more his academic Today name. is, he's not a C.S. Lewis because N.T. Wright is a, is a legit theologian. Right. C.S. Lewis is a philosopher and more of a literary genius. But because both of them to me, have have come at these kinds of topics in such honest ways. They paint some pretty compelling pictures for us. Even if you don't always agree with them, um, I feel like I'm always better off because I've read them. Yeah. And um, so John Stott was more of a, of a theologian who was less imaginative than C.S. Lewis, but but his his take on on these kinds of heavy topics have truly influenced me. And then Stott gets to the end of his life and really starts to wonder about annihilationism. Some people would even say universalism, but I think it was more of a question about the eternity of hell 
not necessarily whether or not people were going to be allowed into heaven or not. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. that, that that was how I would read it. But I get I get it. Some people think it's different than that uh, in terms of what he said. He wrote an essay about it. But I think I think we've been informed by some of these really thoughtful um, theologians who have who've painted some things for us, at least for us to imagine and try to decide, okay, how would I craft this? How would I, how would I express what I believe about this? And that's been helpful to me. So Mm. it's a good conversation. Mm -hmm. It's been challenging for me in a good way. Mm -hmm. I I don't think, I don't think about hell all that often. Mm -hmm. And it makes, it makes me burden for people Mm -hmm. who just don't live life with Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you just want more for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hope that the love of God within you motivates you. To share that love with others. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. with that, we're going to go live our lives. Mm-hmm. We are. For Christ. Amen. May, may it be so. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.